Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode, I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Today's interview is with Olga Gerlich, VP Creative Director of Wednesday Books, St. Martin's Griffin, and Essentials, and Executive Art Director of the SMP Group. Straight off the boat from Croatia, Olga studied graphic design at the School of Visual Arts in New York, and after an internship at Macmillan in her sophomore year, remained there until this day. Olga's work has been honored with awards from AIGA, the Type Directors Club, and the New York Book Show. She has been published in 50 Books, 50 Covers, and Print, among others. Olga and I chat in this episode about all things related to cover design from beginning to end, and more, as you will soon hear. We continue our conversation from my Patreon account and delve into how a conflict over a cover design between the publisher, the editor, and the cover designer is resolved, the number one thing a cover designer learns to deal with, what happens when a powerful large buyer such as Barnes & Noble or Target does not like a cover, and what's driving the trend for lookalike genre covers. In addition to my Patreon conversation with Olga, I recently posted two other bonus episodes. First, for my indie bookstore series, I interview Kimberly Taws at the Country Bookshop in Southern Pines, North Carolina. We talk about her store, the alchemy of finding the right book for a customer, her book recommendations, which include a number of books that I have not heard talked about anywhere else, which I personally loved, and how she decides what titles to carry in the store. Second, for my upcoming releases series, I highlight the titles that look best for January 2022. Thanks to everyone that has joined my Patreon community so far. And if you're interested in joining, the link is in the show notes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Olga. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, Olga. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm super excited to speak with you because cover design is something that I cover myself in many of my podcast episodes. And so to actually talk to somebody who does the designing is like a dream come true. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited anyone is interested in anything that goes into cover design. Well, and Christy Clancy is who connected us. And so I was so excited about that. And then you shared recently an Instagram account where you have a number of your covers. And I was so happy to discover that I am a huge fan of many of your covers, not just Christy's covers. So exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Before we dive into the ins and outs of designing a book cover, 
Why don't we start with whether designers are in-house or contractors or both and how all of that works? Right. So each house has its own art department for maybe an art department per imprint or an art department that shares a few imprints. And they have in-house designers, art directors, and creative directors, all of which compose the art department team. And then depending on the amount of books or the projects, things are hired out to illustrators just for illustrations or for covers as a whole to contracted designers. So it really depends on the house imprint and the creative director as to how this is done. So I noticed that you have designed a lot of St. Martin's Press covers, but then you've also designed covers for people that are elsewhere. So what happens for you? Well, I, I've worked for St. Martin's Press for 20 years. And so I've, uh, you know, majority of the things I've worked on are from there. And I also freelance design for other publishing houses, and I've done this for years. So that's my personal path. But a lot of people either do their own houses or some people just freelance. So it's just a mixed bag of book designers. Got it. I was so curious because I figured you must work for St. Martin's since you had done a number of their covers. But then I saw that you had done Grand Central and a few others as well. Right. And then tell me a little bit about this Instagram account. You share it with another designer? I do. I share it with my partner, James Iacobelli. He works for Atria and he's, we started working together at St. Martin's Press and he's worked at HarperCollins and we sort of work on a similarly commercial cover designs. So we wanted to sort of reclaim doing these kind of designs because I think a lot of book designs are sort of more centered towards the literary. And so we sort of wanted to just kind of do a joint page celebrating these covers that we do. Well, I love that. I was so happy to discover it. And I spent over an hour just scrolling through (laughs) it and thinking, oh, I loved this cover. And oh, how fun to know that he or she designed this cover. So I'm so glad that you have that account and that I now know about it. Thank you. It was was a process. (laughs) And it's called Book Covers Designed by OJ. Is that right? Right, right. Okay. So if people want to find it, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Thanks. So what does the process look like for you from the very beginning? Right. So at Macmillan, at St. Martin's Press, the the year is divided into three seasons. There's a launch for each season, the spring, summer, fall, and winter. That's when the books for the next year's season are launched. That's when we would ideally find out about the books. But we meet prior to that when we do find out about how the books are going to be positioned and what the books are about and get manuscripts when we start working on the covers. But that's how the lists are divided within the publishing houses. And so that's when we start dividing the list to designers, illustrators, and trying to work on them. And then they get launched. And then after launch, we start trickling in the designs. So the books are being sold with covers, ideally, which is the process of how it works within a publishing house. You're meeting at the launch meeting and there are, say, 80 books. I'm just choosing that completely Mm -hmm. randomly. How are they divided up? How do you all decide who's going to do which book? Right. So creative directors of each imprint will take the lists of the books that have been launched or are about to launch, and they will divide it amongst the staff. So that's how the covers are done in-house. And then The person who's assigned the book will either do it themselves or will hire it out to a designer or an illustrator. 
that's how we do it at Macmillan. And I'm pretty certain that's how it's done pretty much everywhere else. So you get assigned a book and then what happens on your end? Well, I I mean, you, you sort of learn about the positioning of the book and you get the manuscript, but it's really sort of important to know like what the genre is, where, who the competitors are, what the comp titles look like, when the book is coming out, what is the, you know, just the general idea where the book will appear in the space it's launched in. And then we read the manuscripts. And then we start the process of designing it and slowly showing it to the very many people that are involved in the approval process. Well, the approval process is one of the things I want to talk about later, probably in the Patreon episode, because I find all of that completely fascinating. But I want to kind of go back to just this beginning process. So you read the manuscript, you look at other comp titles, which I think is interesting. It makes sense, but it's not something I thought through. Right. And then do you think, okay, I want to go in a different direction? Do you try to stay within the same vein? Historical fiction covers, they sort of have a a theme. So do you try to stay within the theme? Do you try to go outside the theme? Does it depend on the book? Well, I mean, myself personally, I'm usually more attracted to not doing the theme because I personally think a book will stand out if it doesn't look like everything else. But unfortunately, that's not how it works because sales is always telling us that a book needs to sell. And in order for it to sell, it is easier to sell it if it looks like others rather than against the grain. And accounts take covers that sort of look like everything else, which is why you're sort of seeing these very similar looks for certain kinds of books. And I think every designer sort of wants to do a different spin on that. And we try. So it's the really trial and error process of getting something. But editors come equipped with sort of an idea of what they want the book to be packaged as, you know, and then authors, some are very strongly opinionated about what they want their covers to look like. Some are very excited to see what a designer's idea, what their book is about, you know, is. And then we go from there. It's just each book is so different. That's the overall process. Do you meet with the author about their book? No. So if you have their input, it's just coming via email or through the editor or some way like that? Right. So the author doesn't see the cover. Sometimes we go two, three, four, five rounds before a publisher and an associate publisher and the editor agree onto a cover that they all like. And that's when it's sent to the author. Sometimes it takes one take, but that it hardly ever happens. But when the the JPEG or maybe a few are sent to the author, that's when we hear back what the author's opinions are of the jackets that we had sent. Several things are interesting about what you just said to me. One, I've always heard it from the author's side where they're getting the JPEGs mm-hmm. with the cover design, one, two, three, whatever it is. But I didn't realize how much went into that ahead of time. So you're really working with the publisher and the editor and everybody to kind of come up with something you all agree upon before it ever goes to the author. Oh, yes. It's a, that's a big process. It's a, it's a lot of people have to sort of like this. Sometimes even sales are involved prior to showing to the author, hardly ever, but it does happen. And especially if we're changing direction or something hasn't worked before and they're trying to come up with a new look. Um, so it's, it's a lot of people are involved in that process. 
and, and then the author, obviously the most important person to say yay or nay, if they, if everyone loves the cover, but the author hates it, it's, it's a back to scratch, you know? Well, and that's such a fascinating discussion because I ask that cover question pretty regularly. And some authors launch into, you know, I had all these ideas and I sent them in and <laughs> this is what I thought, or we talked about it. And other authors say, authors don't really have any say in the cover process. So I wonder sometimes, is it an imprint that's different? You know, some imprints have more say, or if it's just that an author maybe didn't have as many ideas or didn't know they could send in their ideas. Right. I think it's dependent on the publisher in the house. And some authors have in contracts that they have cover approvals. So I think it's just, it depends on, on how the publisher or the house that the author is published within is really conducts their cover of approval process, you know? That's true. I just think it's kind of fascinating to see how it works beginning to end. So you you go through all of that. And then where do you source your ideas? So one of the covers that you've done that I absolutely loved was What Could Be Saved. And one of the things I did like about it was that it is different and it's bright and it's really pretty, but it also kind of conveys a little bit about the story that there's going to be some depth. How do you take a story and translate it to the cover? Hmm. I, I, you, you know, it's just a lot of trial and error of things that you think could convey these certain ideas you had. And that one was illustrated, but it wasn't, I don't think it started out being illustrated. And then we moved to illustration. It really depends on like what the process is for each book. And you mentioned the illustrations because I saw that also on the Instagram account. So you do the design, but somebody else actually fills in the illustrations. Is that right? Well, I do both for some books, and then sometimes I hire illustrators, and sometimes I hire designers. Yeah, it depends, but I, I have done both for years and don't fashion myself to be an illustrator, but I have illustrated covers. Let's talk about a book that's coming up that I think is one of the most stunning covers I have seen in forever, and that's Antoinette's Sister by Diana Giovanazzo, and that book is just stunning. Thank you. So I would love to hear kind of from beginning to end how you did that cover. Well, I was hired by um, an art director, Albert Tang, who, who works at Hachette. And he had sort of reached out asking for a different take in historical fiction to do sort of like, I had done a cover of Z that was historical, but it didn't look historical. And it had these sort of cutouts of a woman peeking out of a letter. And he had sort of alluded to it looking different than the woman from the back doing the thing. And so on this, I thought what the idea was to do like a playful, sexy peekaboo kind of thing. And I played with the patterns and wanted her to be sort of hidden behind something. And so I, when I found the right woman, I played around with different patterns that are covering her or showing her peeking through them. And, and that that was because it's like a secret story. And I thought that was that we landed on that cover that you know. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when I got pitched that book, before I even read what it was about, and I saw the cover, I was like, I have to read it. So it really could have been about anything. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then Christy Clancy's covers. So I recently hosted Christy, which is how I connected with you um, at a literary salon in October. And we were talking in depth about shoulder season. And the spine and how great the spine is for that book and the cover and how it's raised. So how do you come up with some of those ideas, like making the spine a little different or making the cover not just a smooth surface, but instead this raised, I don't even know what you call that. 
Yeah, it's just like the effects that go into the cover. Well, for for um, shoulder season, when Chrissy had first sent out her mood boards or things that she was attracted to or had loved, these matches, like Playboy matches, were sent and they just really stuck in my head. I loved, I loved what they look like and wished the cover could look like this, but that was going to be impossible. So I just stored in my head this idea of like vintage playboy matches and so when we went to package the mechanical two designers that worked on the mechanical i told them to do this thing and they executed it beautifully and it looks really amazing those are the things that i think you just can't trade a print book for you know some people like to read ebooks and i I totally get that but i think when you're holding that book in your hand and you can feel it and you can see the really cool spine and just the whole design truly comes to life it's just amazing Well, it's such an object. And I think the experience of holding a book and loving what it looks like and having it on your nightstand or wherever it is that you read, it's just, it's, it has to be like a beautiful object you're excited to hold. Well, and when we were talking before we got started with the interview, you said you call it dressing these authors' works. And I love (laughs) that because that really kind of brings to mind exactly what we're talking about. It is a piece of art. And you're creating this outer wrapping for them. Right. Well, I wouldn't call it art I, per, per se, but I would think that it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, you know, these books are just manuscripts. They're just naked manuscripts that don't have a way to be distinguished against each other. Or if a bookstore was filled with 40,000 white manuscripts, it just, <laughs> you would never know where to begin, you know? So this is just a way for them to each stand out and very quickly sort of say what they're about, you know, but it was really hard to do sometimes. (laughs) You don't think of it as art? I don't know. I think it's, it's a form of art. I think a lot of book designers do a lot of really amazing covers that are so incredibly inspirational. And, and I think, Yes, of course. There are people I just wouldn't per se call what I do as art. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Well, I do. I had so much fun when I was looking back through and like another one, Don't Look For Me by Wendy Walker. I love that book. And I talk about that cover all the time. So I do think it's definitely art. That was like a fun, that was a fun one. I've worked on Wendy's books for years and she's always really fun to design covers for. And she has such creative stories. Yeah. And don't look, that was a great, that was the first scene of the book. It was very easy to come up with that. (laughs) Well, what about how long the process from start to finish takes for you? Um, It's a long process. It's uh, sometimes it takes two months. Sometimes it takes six months. It really depends on the book, the author, the publisher, sales, everyone involved. It's, It's a long process sometimes. But from the minute the book is launched, I would assume that would be the beginning of the book. And then by the time it goes to print, it that's a year just by, you know, time-wise without even my, my involvement in it. Well, and a lot of times you'll have the galleys in between, which usually have a cover, but every once in a while don't, or have some kind of cover that's maybe going to change. Right. Yes, covers do change. How many books would you say you design a year? About a 110-ish. Wow. Yes, it's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. Okay. I was just thinking, I wonder if it's going to be 40, it's going to be 50. 
So 110, I way, way <laughs> underestimated. Oh, yeah. So how many do you do for St. Martin's Ballpark versus how many you do contracted? I would say uh, I would say I do about 80 for St. Martin's Press. I have three lists that I do and I give out. And then I do some of the hardcovers on St. Martin's Press list. And then I would say about like 50 are contracted out that I do contracted by other publishing houses. Got it. Okay, 110 is a lot. I'm still sitting here in shock thinking, well, you must just be designing all day long. I do. It's a lot. (laughs) One thing I was thinking about as I was flipping through the Instagram account is, what happens when you get a book that you either don't love when you read it, or maybe it goes against something you believe in? What happens then? Yeah. Well, the goes against believe in is usually about people, not necessarily books. You know, authors that are tricky with your ethics and morals that you hold. But I I think, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I can say no to things that I don't want to work on. But, you know, I've certainly designed books that I didn't think were great. But I don't think that my opinion of that really deters me from giving my best to design the covers. So, Well, absolutely, because your name is attached to the book as the cover designer or the art director or whatever it's going to be. So you want to do your best regardless of whether it's your favorite book. Right. I mean, I do have a job and I do want to remain a professional (laughs) and I would love to keep my job. (laughs) So I, I, yeah, I mean, I keep my opinions to myself most of the times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do designers get adequate attention? I mean, do you feel like people understand how important the cover process is? I think a lot of designers do get a lot of attention and there's like best of lists and awards and things like that. I, I think so. I, I'm sure a lot of them will say no. I think, you know, I mean, I walk into a bookstore and I see a million cover designs like that to me is like the ultimate. There it is. This is what you work for. And it's so exciting. I go to my local bookstore like two to three times a week to admire other people's work because I, I it's such an exciting process that ends in like this physical object and it just never gets old. <laughs> Well, and I guess that's probably also a good way to do research for you. Yeah, a lot of research. Yeah, if you just constantly kind of wander through the bookstore, notice what the new trends are, what people are doing. Are there certain other designers that you follow their work or that are kind of cutting edge? I mean, you look like you're cutting edge as well. But I mean, are there people that you look at and think, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on what Joe Smith is doing because his covers are always so cool. Yes, a million of them, like um, a million designers. I mean, there are so many brilliant book designers. It's it's impossible to even name all of them. And they're all doing incredibly interesting work. And some of them have far less involved approval processes, which result sometimes in much more interesting designs. So it's it's just really exciting to see what everyone comes up with. Now, would that be the case on the approval process because it's a smaller publisher or some publishers just really do it differently or what what mainly is guiding that? Well, just definitely like expectations and smaller publishers and I think expectations mostly. Some houses just have a very small approval process and some houses have a much larger and that's just, it's such a different mixed bag, you know? Absolutely. Because just like they do the same with every other aspect of publishing, it's going to be different in the art department, just like it's different in 
the editorial process or whatever else, the publicist, whatever the process is for them. Yeah. I mean, a book that's expected to sell 150,000 copies is not going to have just one person approve the cover. Whereas a book that ideally would sell a thousand copies, that would be a great success. Doesn't need to have a million people saying it will sell a million copies. So it's, it's really a, a sales expectations kind of thing, at least from what I know. That makes sense. I hadn't thought about it from that aspect as well. Well, one of the things I always enjoy are end papers in a book. When you are designing a cover for a book, are you also designing the end papers or is someone else doing that? What does that look like? Um, Most of the time, no. I would be involved maybe in seeing them, but not for our house. No, we don't really do that. Um, On my YA list of Wednesday books, we do a lot of really fun case stamps and end papers and things like that, but which are done by interior designers, or sometimes they're fan art pages. Sometimes they've been hired up to be done by different illustrators and the cover, you know, the YA packaging is sort of where things get a little more fun. For sure. My middle daughter's 18 and loves to read and loves YA. So I end up seeing a lot of those books. I don't really read much YA myself, but it's really fun to look through that section with her and just to see everything that's being done there. And I had fun seeing some of your YA covers as well. So you mentioned end papers, and then you mentioned something else. Was it case stamps? Case stamps. Yeah, that's the the cloth that's covering the book. And then the, there's like a foil stamp or just a designer. That's called a case stamp. Okay, good. I learned something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. I know we're going to continue this conversation for my Patreon account, but I just want to say thank you so much, Olga, for coming on and chatting covers. And I feel like I learned so much. And since it's something that I do focus on, it's really interesting to hear the whole process from you. Oh my God. Thank you for being interested in this process. It's such a joy to, you know, talk about it. I think so too. It's just absolutely fascinating. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From My Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content, including a longer conversation with Olga. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? 
The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.